sermon series, We Are the Church. We are the church. Church, uh, we, we oftentimes refer to church as a building, but we know from the scripture that the church is the people, the called out ones, the ones who are called to be in the world but not of the world, and to live with Christ and for Christ, and as uh, an example of Christ to the world around us. Today's sermon is titled Family Honor. We're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5. Verses 1 through 16. One of the things that strengthens my faith and reminds me why I'm a Christian is remembering the history of the early church. It's amazing when you think about it. This really little group of Jesus followers. They didn't, you know, they weren't highly educated. They didn't have any political influence. They weren't, um, almost all of them, wealthy at all, and with all that, what we might say are all these human limitations, then you see how rapidly the Christian movement spread across the Roman Empire. It's nothing short of amazing. It uh, must be a supernatural explanation. Really. One of the things people were amazed by from early on and, and commented in writing back then was how Christians took care of the poor after this letter was written by Paul to Timothy a few centuries later the 4th century AD the Roman Emperor Julian who was not a Christian was frustrated actually by how well Christians cared for the poor the Christians offered a better quality of care than the state did Julian said not only do Christians take care of their own poor, they take care of outsiders. And he was mad about that because he thought that that uh, took focus and honor away from the Roman Empire because the state's supposed to take care of everybody. So um, I'm sure glad we've overcome all that. And there's no debate, you know, anymore about how much the state should do for people and how much should be done personally or whatever. Uh, and yes, I'm being. What's the word? Facetious. Facetious, thank you. I was trying not to say sarcastic, and you gave me another word, so thank you. Uh, the early Christians' compassion and care for the needy gave our faith street cred, right? It made people think that this new movement is a real thing. There's something to this, because look at how they take care of folks. Look at how they interact with the needy. How compassionate, how uh, eager and quick they are to help provide for their needs. So today we're looking at this letter, 1 Timothy, first of two letters that Paul wrote to someone he was uh, discipling as a fellow pastor. It was written about 300 years before Emperor Julian ruled. And Apostle Paul, who is writing to the younger Timothy, giving Timothy... Pastor Timothy advice on good relationships within the church and some guidance on how to take care of the church's neediest members. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. 
But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house, and not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she must continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Interesting. Some of this stuff is hard to figure out how it's relevant to us because it was written, you know, almost 2,000 years ago. And and some of it, man, it just like reaches out and grabs us. So let's navigate through this. There's the key principle to this whole passage, and it's in the first couple verses. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers. Older men, older women, verse 2. Older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. Always, but especially in the church, treat people around you with the honor you treat your family with. As if you're going home to share a house with this person and sit down to dinner with this person. Treat them with that kind of respect. Rather than rebuke, exhort them. Which means, exhort means to advise, to caution encouraged to persuade. The principle is given in reinforcement in reference to the younger women where it also says with absolute purity. Interact for a male pastor to interact with a younger female it must be done when and where there's nothing about it that suggests anything that should be happening. Your reputation needs to be attacked and enhanced, and so does the younger woman. Her reputation needs to be uh, protected and enhanced, and so with absolute purity. So this simple instruction in these two verses, to treat others as family, applies 
to every relationship with every person in the church. So now, the focus in most of the passage is on widows in the congregation. So with, with this key principle as the backdrop, Paul starts to talk about how to relate to a part of the family who are sometimes very vulnerable and very needy, widows. And this was especially so back in that day. And if you are thinking this doesn't apply to you because it's just about how to run a church or how to be a pastor and how to have those relationships, we're going to work our way through this passage that we've read, and it's going to get very personal with each and every one of us before we're done. So don't check out. I think this applies to somebody but not you. So first of all, a word to the church. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Christianity comes out of the Old Testament Jewish faith. That's We know this. And honoring your father and mother is the fifth of the Ten Commandments. The first commandment with the promise that you may live long in the land the Lord has given you. Honor your father and your mother. So care for widows is emphasized and demonstrated throughout both the Old Testament and in the life of Christ. So this is not surprising. Jesus stopped everything. Stopped the whole parade one day to minister to a widow. More than once. One time he went and raised a, a widow's dead son from the dead and restored him to life so she would have her son to continue to care for her needs. So not surprising that we see this emphasis in Paul's letter to Timothy. God's people are supposed to honor their parents in general. We're supposed to honor our parents. And and I personally, I mean, it took me a while to figure out how to do that, right? And I've talked openly about that. And specifically, we are to take care of widows. In Acts chapter 6, just six, about six months after Jesus left the earth, returned to heaven, the church had an official, organized ministry to distribute food to widows and widowed. So it was a high priority from the church from the beginning. Many widows in that day were truly destitute and needy. There were a lot of women, most women, who took care of the home and the home front and had no say in society, had no power to negotiate anything, had no way, no training to generate an income. And so if they became a widow and that source of income was gone and they weren't of an of a, uh, economic level that there was a bunch of savings that they could live off of, they were needy. They were destitute and desperately so. Um, so the church began to minister to them right away in an organized fashion. They got food, and I'm sure that they were prayed for and ministered to in other ways as the food was distributed. Then something started to happen, and it's so predictable, because you're dealing with people and free stuff being given out. But guess what? Some people started to abuse the system. Shocking, right? Uh, my mind went back to uh, an earthquake that happened nine years ago in Haiti. And within 
hours, all kinds of new websites popped up on the internet to donate money, and, and these were non-existent, fictitious, charitable, quote-unquote, charitable organizations to collect money to send to the poor people who were devastated in Haiti. Um, all kinds of government money was misappropriated. Um, there were powerful people that formed foundations and gathered um, skimmed millions of dollars off of their friends who got contracts to rebuild stuff in Haiti and said they were going to use it to build homes and build five homes. So, massive fraud, massive waste, massive um, greed. It was just a horrible example of what can happen when there's a crisis. Well, you know, a crisis happens on an individual level when a woman back in that day, becomes a widow. They were truly destitute and needy. So, back then and today, um, if there's a possibility to take advantage of people's generosity, some people are going to take advantage. So, we see Paul's wisdom here and what he's instructing Timothy and what Holy Scripture is instructing you and I. We want to honor the widows. But we only should help the ones who are truly needy. So, Timothy, Paul's telling Timothy, you need to be discerning. And Scripture's telling us, we need to be discerning. We need to be wise. And when you do make these kind of decisions and deal with this kind of stuff on a regular basis, you need to have some street smart in deciding who you're going to help so that the truly needy receive it. Now, let's transfer from the 1st century to the 21st century, from back when this letter was written to what the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word is saying to us today. Today, there are a lot of safety nets for widows that weren't there back then. Social Security. Some people have pensions or 401ks, retirement income. There's Medicare and there's Medicaid. To help with insurance needs. So, and also today, some widows are well educated and have a great career of their own. This was almost unheard of back when the letter was written. But some widows are perfectly capable of financially providing for themselves. So we need to ask ourselves, who are the truly needy that God has put among us? And we need to serve them. And we need to help provide for them. Jesus' name. Who are the truly needy that God has put among us? He's put them among us so that they can bless us by being a part of our family. And we can bless them by being the hands and feet of Jesus to help provide for them. Um, and, and we need to kind of broaden uh, the conversation here because there are some people who are elderly and they've never married. So technically they're not widows but they're single and elderly, and they're every bit as needy. What about people who are abandoned by their spouse? Divorce can be financially devastating. What about the disabled or the homeless? God calls us, the church, to be compassionate, but also discerning about who is truly needed and who the church needs to help. 
I want to encourage you to remember to pray for those who work with the needy every day. Because there are people out there trying to figure out how to take advantage every day. And, and if you work with, with in a, a ministry or an organization that, that provides food or clothes or, or other types of assistance, um, you're dealing with some truly destitute people who are humble and thankful and truly in need. And you're dealing with some people who are just trying to shake down the system and get something they could support themselves, they choose not to, and, and often see if they can be those people to give them stuff for free. So, pray for them. you got to have discernment to be in that, <coughs> excuse me, day in and day out, so that the resources that you manage in Jesus' name are well used and bring Him glory. And um, there's a temptation to become cynical. Just think, well, everybody's all messed up. Why are we doing this? And and uh, that would be tragic for those who serve in these types of ways as well. As well, so pray for them. We, you know, we have a local food bank here, and and we know personally people that come to this church that serve them. And so pray for them. Pray by name. Pray specifically, and, and ask God to pour a spirit out upon them and bless them. Support and a um, street worthy sense of discernment in, in what they do. There's, there, there are a lot of different kinds of needs. So, as a church, we work with local and regional organizations, you know, organizations here in New England, you know, similar organizations in Twin Falls, um, to connect the truly needy with those who can help them in different areas. You know, I've had, you know, from from people coming here to, to receive assistance, I've, I've referred people from multiple organizations here in Goodie and in Twin Falls for medical needs, for financial counseling needs, for debt repair needs, for emotional support, for psychological and psychiatric treatment, um, all kinds of stuff it comes through the door of this church because people are still looking to the church as a source of assistance. And so we, you know, I don't have all that expertise in all those areas personally. Um, as a church, we don't have the expertise in all those areas um, among us. But there are organizations that we can and do work with to minister to those people. And there are things that we can do and should do correctly as well. So that's the word to the church. Second is a word to the widows. Almost everything I know about being a widow, I learned from talking to widows, because I've never been a widow, right? Um, my mom fit in that broader definition of, of a widow. My parents divorced after 25 years of marriage, and my mom had to figure out how to carry on. She was a gifted administrative assistant. When, when she had to take medical retirement, it literally took three people to do what she used to do. They, had, they hired three people to, to be able to do all the job duties that she did. She was gifted, and she was committed. She was a rock star in the workplace. She had her own career. 
with a good wage and benefits and retirement and all that stuff, but there was still a huge adjustment she had to make. We lived at the time in a town about the size of Jerome, and my mom, you know, stayed in that town, stayed in that same town, but she went from being so-and-so's wife to so-and-so's ex-wife, and so-and-so is now running around with this other lady in town, you know, and and um, went from from living in a, a large company-provided home to, to renting a little apartment, you know, going home to this small little apartment with the neighbors all, you know, on their side of the wall and stuff, and, and then, you know, the whole processing the, the failed 25-year marriage. So my mom had huge adjustments to make. Lucy's father died young, and her mom, my mother-in-law, became a widow of 42 years of age. Lucy's mom was not employed outside of the home. As a wife, she stayed busy taking care of the children, the home, and doing stuff that, that needed to be done during the day, um, connected with the two branches that they had, and, and she cared for her parents, and she cared for her in-laws. Um, within the space of six months, Lucy's mom went from being married to a guy who had a good-paying career job for a copper mining company and had a couple of cattle ranches to being a widow. By the time he went to the doctor to get his symptoms diagnosed, it was less than six months before he was gone. And so, 42 years old, never worked outside the home, though she worked for it. Um, she's now a young widow. I remember... Um, The day we buried Lucy's father, and after the funeral and the dinner, Lucy and her mom and I ended up alone back at the house. And uh, I remember Lucy holding her mom, and uh, her mom let out this guttural cry. Um, it was like a sacred moment and I felt like I should be there. And I don't remember if I went outside or went to the other room or whatever, but but man, there was holy ground around the Cedar Mountain in that moment. And and I didn't want any food or or uh, lesson. And, and so I remember, you know, the moment when her mom got home and, and truly began to let the grief out. Lucy's mom, as a now single mother, finished raising her younger, youngest child. Then she went back to school. And did she get a GED or she graduated high school? And, and so she went back to school and got her GED. And, and then she continued her education and training and got licensed to provide home health care. And that's how she supported herself um, the rest of her working life. And uh, 
So, so I had the privilege of watching my mother-in-law, and if, when you see her in heaven, please don't tell her I talked to her about her. Don't mess up her I saw her maybe at her deepest grief, and, and then I watched her carry on in a very positive, successful way for the rest of her life. So here's a word to the widows from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be over. It is possible to react to the loss of a spouse in a good way or in a bad way, in a godly way or in a sinful way. And Paul is warning the widows, don't go down the road of reacting to loss by going down a path of living for sin. The root of your response in those kind of situations is life is your relationship with God. Do you put your hope in God, like it says in this passage today in verse 5? Or do you resent God because something bad happened to you and you choose to live for pleasure? Both my mom and Lucy's mom came to the place where they didn't view their lives from the perspective of what had been taken away from them but instead from the perspective of what God had given them in it. Keeping their hope set on God and refusing to get bitter. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Now, these verses, 1 Timothy 5, 9 and 10, it's not just talking about getting on the list to receive food from the church. The early church had this special group of older widows that like took a vow and, and were especially committed to this ministry and these older widows were part of the church's leadership, and they helped administer the church's mercy ministries and care ministries. And so that's why all those conditions are listed there, because these people administered the resources of God's kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. And so they needed to be committed. Um, they were part of the leadership expected to make a leadership type commitment. So the early church, they had the wisdom to put these widows to work, to set them loose in the ministry, um, because they had so much to offer. 
please don't retire from your work life and think that you're now going to retire from ministering in church. Please don't do that. We need you. Lucy's mom spent years as an in-home caretaker for an elderly widow. You gave her years of employment and income, and she took care of an elderly widow whose husband had been an entrepreneur very successfully and, and had uh, plenty of money to live on. And so not only did, did, did her care for that lady, her devoted, godly, kind, compassionate care for that elderly lady, and, and though this man was successful, and he had preceded his wife to death, they didn't have any children to her. And so uh, there, there was no children or grandchildren you know, to take care of the elderly widow. And so she was had the means to pay somebody to do that. And so it gave Lucy's mom purpose. It gave her employment. It gave her income. And, and when that lady passed away, um, most of the assets went to, to family members. But she deeded the house to Lucy's mom. And so Lucy's choice to carry on, Lucy's mom's choice to carry on gave her the income and the employment and the purpose and an outlet for her compassion and, and uh, to care for another older single woman. But it gave her a home to live in the rest of her life too. And that had an amazingly positive Lucy's mother's standard of living, being able to live in her own home until she passed away. Because I don't think all those options would have been open to her otherwise. My mom volunteered at church, and, and uh, she lived in this low income uh, apartment complex the last however many years of her life. And, and so there were mostly uh, elderly single women elderly single men. And my mom was like a magnet. After she started living there, but by the time it was all said and done, I, I forget, there were like 12 or 15 um, affectionately, I'm calling them old ladies, that would go to church together. And they went to the church my mom went to because my mom was in the community there with them now and she was she was praying for them and she was helping them figure stuff out and she was improving their life and she was a real deal witness for Christ and, and people got saved and people got reconnected to their, the faith of their youth and people got reconnected to the church and going to church and participating in the ministry again. And my mom volunteered at St. Joseph's Hospital in Phoenix, a massive medical complex. Um, and one year, my mom was volunteer of the year. And so my sisters and I went there to the ceremony where they awarded her, and, and we got to see the, the level of, of love that people in that organization had for my mom and how thankful they were for her volunteer service there. She was, she was a receptionist in the the surgery, day surgery center. And so on days that she volunteered, and she volunteered up one day a week or something. She, would, she was the one that greeted you at the front desk and helped you get checked in and all that stuff and, and made sure your family was there to take you home. And, and 
all that good stuff. Volunteer of the year. Both moms, my mom and Lucy's mom, came to a place where they chose not to isolate themselves. They chose to stay involved and, and to be meaningfully involved in blessing other people, even as they aged and even as they aged as widows. And my, and my mom knew how I felt. I mean, we had, she was in mom and had enough Lucy's mom, they were heroes of the faith. We demonstrated how to live in victory as older single adults. So, third, a word to us all. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. And now it's personal. This is for each and every one of us, okay? It's in talking to Timothy 2,000 years ago. This isn't just talking to your pastor or somebody else. This is personal. This applies to each and every one of us. First of all, let's apply it generally. If you call yourself a Christian, the first place your Christianity should show up is in your household. Right? If you're not living it out at home, um, then it's not real. Now let's apply this specifically. If you have parents or grandparents who are still living, there's going to come a time when you're responsible for them. I know, that's heavy, right? It gets even heavier. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, has denied the faith that is worse than an unbeliever. I'm just reading scripture, okay? That's the advice that Paul gives to the young pastor Timothy. Ouch! When Paul said this, even most pagans took care of their parents. So if you don't even do that, what good's your faith, he's saying. Man, those are strong words that Paul had for Timothy and Scripture that's for us. And again, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 16, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Some widows truly are in need. And we need to prioritize the use of our resources so that take care of them. So it's the same thing again here. The church should take care of widows, but with the priority of those widows who have no one else to help them. So the message to all of us is take care of your parents. One preacher said it like this, the rhythm of life includes the reversal of roles. Those of us who have held and cared for children one day will be held and cared for by those said children. That's just the way that God has set it up. I'm kind of looking forward to that. I mean, I hope it's not next week. You know, I hope it's like a long time down the road. But you know what? When it gets to that point, 
When my kids take my diaper off, I'm going to make a break for it. I want to run across the house, right? Things come in full circle, right? I'm going to be like one of my kids and leave my pants and underwear off, and I'm going to go outside to see what's going on when they're talking to the neighbors in the front yard. Right? We'll just let, we'll just let stuff go full circle. Um, and, you know, I, I'm joking. It's a serious subject. And, uh, I, I hope it never comes to that. But, but uh, <laughs> just be ready. Um, because what goes around comes. <laughs> so, you ready for the sad truth? sad truth is that for thousands of years, we children have made excuses in trying to squirm out of that responsibility. Just one example, um, Jesus calls out the Pharisees in, in Mark chapter 7, beginning of verse 9, for setting aside the commands of God for their traditions. And there's this word that's used in that passage, korban. So, Scripture clearly, repeatedly said in the Old Testament, honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment of the promise. And, and there, was, there were multiple examples of God's heart being expressed, his compassion for widows, and the, the instructions that God's people had been given to care for the elderly and the widows, care for our parents as they age, right? So, with, with all those commands in the Old Testament scripture, these Pharisees who said that they believed in it, this, those scriptures better than you and knew it better than you, had this man-made tradition called Korban, where the assets that you would normally spend to care for your elderly parents would, and I do this in quotation marks, be devoted to God instead. And so they would, you know, so they, the, you know, instead of spending the money and taking the time and investing a part of their life in caring for their elderly parents in a day when there was no retirement plan, except what you had managed to scrape together and it would still work, right? They would say, oh, well, you know, I would take care of you, but I've devoted this to God. And, and then they didn't even necessarily spend it on anything, God. And, and However they spent it, it couldn't be godly because their man-made tradition was directly defying a bunch of passages in the Old Testament scripture that they said they believed in. Right? So, Jesus calls them out for setting aside the commands of God for their tradition. So it's nothing new. Um, but most families have, have children and grandchildren that do really well at supporting the elderly parents and the widows, and then and then some other um, children and grandchildren that could care less, right? So it happens in our day. We're so good at making excuses. I'm not saying that you have to personally provide for and give directly all your parents' care, but you know what? Help them get the care that they and you can't afford. Um, we do have all these uh, safety nets, but, but 
but you can still fall through them. Help them navigate all that stuff. I mean, when it comes to the point where you have to give up your house, or you have to quit driving the car, or you have to give up freedom, it, it's a radical adjustment. It's an emotional adjustment. It's a, a grief thing for your elderly parent. And so help them through that. Support them through that. Help them get the care that they and you can afford and participate in that. You know, for some, it's moving, moving a parent into your house with you or moving them closer to you. Or for some, there's wonderful assisted living facilities now where, where they can develop friendships and they can be involved in activities and they can, they can stay alive and engaged. But it's never, ever okay to emotionally abandon your parents. It's never okay to detach from them and to stop honoring them. Even when it's hard. Um, and I have had to walk this path personally. And God showed me that it's possible showed me how to do it. He didn't abandon me to disgust or despair or um, befuddlement over how the world do I honor now. There is a way that honors your parents and honors God and blesses your own heart. So I want you to know whatever the circumstance it can be done. Visit your parents. Call your mom. Buy your dad a carnitas burrito and a fried jalapeno. <laughs> There's ways honor your parents. But it all comes down to this. Live like Christ. Live like Christ. In John chapter 19, Gospel of John chapter 19, one of the last things Jesus said while hanging on the cross in the process of dying was to provide for his mother's care after he departed. He looked at his mom hanging on the cross and he said to her, referring to the disciple John, this is your son. And he looked at John and referring to his mom, Mary, this is your mother. And so he officially called John to care for his mom. He took the time of his dying on the cross to make sure mom's going to be okay after he departed. One of the most Christ-like things you can do is to honor your parents, especially if they're elderly, especially if they're widowed. World will look at us when we do that as followers of Christ, and the way we care for the weak, our needy, our elderly, and they'll know that this thing, this Jesus thing, is for real.